0: The Tam Tam Dramas the Thank you for tuning in to Radio Harambe, the companion podcast for our website, JomboEveryone.com. I'm Dave McBride, broadcasting from the Radio Harambe studios, and joining me somewhere in the world, it's Safari Mike. Mike, where are you today? Dave, I am at Cabbage Tree Creek. Cat. Well, that has got to be American. Cabbage Tree Creek. Uh, yeah, it's got to be American. No, it doesn't have to be american actually cuz cuz if it were american you would have i think you would have mentioned that so i'm not going to say that so who would have american would be too easy <laughs> don't think it'd be canada I'm trying to think of english speaking countries could be new zealand cabbage tree where do they have cabbages i like maybe new zealand have you ever been to new zealand uh, tasmania Ooh. Is that your guess?
1: Was it New Zealand? No. No. It's it, But it's very, very close. Australia. Yeah, it's southeastern yeah. Australia. I thought that was too easy. You could almost hit Tas- uh, Tasmania from a rock from where I am.
0: Yeah, you probably could. <laughs> We're we here
1: studying the superb lyre bird.
0: Yeah, they which, have interesting birds all throughout that area, don't they?
1: It is the largest songbird in the world at really? almost three feet in length. And it has a long, filament-like tail that uh, looks a lot like an ancient Greek lyre, which is a musical instrument for people who don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is also famous for its uh, elaborate dances where it uses this tail for dancing. But, even perhaps more unusual, is its song, which can last up to 20 minutes. What? (laughs) And it gets even better than that. Wow. They are excellent mimickers where they will use other bird songs, other forest uh, uh, animals Noises that they've heard, but not only that. But you, it, depending on where they're from, they will copy chainsaws. Really? Car alarms. Oh my god! <laughs> and even a camera—the shutter of a camera.
0: That's incredible. Uh,
1: we'll use it all for a song, uh, just to attract girls.
0: That's incredible. What we won't <laughs> do to attract girls. <laughs> That's um, right. Cool. Well, on today's show, we are going to discuss all the news from the animal kingdom. We've got some to catch up with, and Walt Disney World. And then in our final segment, we're going to look back at twenty years of the Disney Conservation Fund. But first, let me say, Mike, it's been a while since we did a show. Mm -hmm. Um, As I've explained in past shows, and I think it's important to explain it again for those of you who have been waiting, um, this is my busiest time of the year. And until I figure out a way to get Radio Harambe to pay the bills... Uh, it tends to take a back seat during the months of September and October, but we should be on a fairly regular basis from this point through uh for the foreseeable future so and Woo-hoo. we've yeah we've got a busy uh we've got a busy time coming up with lots of things to discuss as as uh as the construction continues over at yes. the Animal Kingdom. And it doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon. So so we'll be back in a regular schedule. Thanks for hanging in there. Sorry about the lack of shows. We do have, believe it or not, since we haven't done a show in almost a month, we really don't have a lot of local news to discuss. There's a couple of bits here and there. Um, a few things, but not nothing groundbreaking. I think we're just, you know, we're in that point now where we're getting sort of Tidbits of information popping in here and there about a lot of different things, and for instance, um, you know, we're learning now about um, a, a call for entertainers, a casting mm-hmm. call essentially, um, seeking what are, what Mike described as contemporary and Bollywood esque dancers. Actually, I think that's how they were described all over. The that's place. exactly
1: how they yeah. were described on the site. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, they'll be. Um, these are, you know, they're going to have a feature role in the Rivers of Light. Uh, or some sort of way, maybe as a pre-show or something like that, Mike. I mean, what are we hearing about this? Well,
1: I think it's part of the show itself. They talk about in the in the casting call that the show is going to feature a, a pair of shamans who right. will have uh, uh, I forget how what the term they use, acolytes, maybe that will a- accompany them as they set you know bring the gift of light to the river and right. and I think these dancers will be a part of this show.
0: Yeah, I mean, so it's just sort of again, we're hearing little bits of information here. We're going to get so this is going to be a show that's not just going to be, you know, fireworks and some visual, you know, some visual effects. May also include humans, which is something that we haven't really had as part of one of these sort of entertain, you know, nighttime spectacular things outside of. Outside of Fantasmic, like, yeah. so this is looking like it's more along those lines rather than along the lines of something like, uh, you know, uh, Illuminations or something like that, which I think we knew all along. But In the
1: initial announcement of Rivers of Life, th- th- they did mention live entertainment as part of the a- actual right. show. Right,
0: right. So we're going to – so so we're, again – and I've also heard today, Mike, that we could be talking about it as early as March –
1: Right. That's what I'm hearing too. For so I'll be ready uh, to go for Easter for
0: previews.
1: Yep. Right. So that it's up and running for Easter 2016.
0: Yep. So, I mean, it may not have an official opening in March, but we're talking about possibly having some previews in March. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty interesting. I think, Mike, the biggest news on our end for us is um, the fact that we have new species of animals at Maharaja Jungle Trek. I'll let you talk about that.
1: Yes, they brought in Asian water buffalo to the, the um, sort of prey section of the Maharaja Jungle Trek. So um, as you, you after you go past the tigers, you come to a, an exhibit that had black buck antelope, it had elves deer, and it had, up until recently, batang, which are these large wild cattle. Uh, I don't know what happened to the batang, but apparently now it's Asian water buffalo. There are three girls named after the three characters from Golden Girls. Uh, Blanche, is it Blanche Rose and Dorothy? Is that right? If you are right, Mike, you have
0: a lot of explaining
1: to do. Golden Girls was an excellent TV show. <laughs> I haven't seen it in quite some time, but it was a, a fine show. I don't oh, know why, God. Oh, God. why you're disparaging the Golden Girls. But anyway, <laughs> uh, thank you for being a friend. Um, <laughs> God. Anyway, so they brought um, the Asian water buffalo to the Maharaja Jungle Trek. I'm not sure how I feel about it, Um The buffalo, the the Asian buffalo are essentially domestic species. It's much like the Watusi cattle that you get on the Kilimanjaro safaris. These are not endangered animals. In fact, more people on Earth rely on the Asian water buffalo as part of their everyday lives than any other animal on Earth, more than horses or cows or chickens or anything. Um, You know, they're prevalent throughout Asia in terms of, you know, farming and, And whatnot. So they are quite numerous and they're also not really wild. So
0: I'm not sure how I feel. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, They're cool. You know, I mean, they're cool. They're a good looking animal. I'll tell you that. I mean, and and some of that is fine. I mean, you know, as you said, they play an incredibly important role in Mm -hmm. the culture there. So if you're trying to tell a story, a cultural story, um, then they probably belong in some way, shape, or form. Yes, right. and we would all like to have everything, every one of these uh, places, you know, spaces for animals put out for something with a species survival plan. But, you know, it doesn't always have to do that. Uh, so I, I, you don't know, and I don't know the inner workings of what goes on, or you know. <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't know what happened to the batang. I mean, they yeah. are an endangered species, but I don't know where. I don't know what happened to the ones that they had on exhibit.
0: Yeah, my, my only my assumption can only be they've moved on as part of the species survival thing because that does that's involve, possible. You know, that does involve moving moving animals on. So. Mm-hmm you know I can only assume that's it and this was an easy way out um, you know to, to fill that space and I'm fine with it I mean you know it, again it's part of the it's part of the story there and, and they are cool and we always like to see new animals and it gives me something new to photograph so its different I, I don't have an issue with that Um the other piece of news that we got only a couple of days ago, and this was actually from Orlando Theme Park News, uh, it talks about new entertainment groups. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm su- assuming that means musical groups, but there's no reason for me to assume that because we don't have that information, but that apparently are going to take place over the next couple of weeks. So maybe even by the time this this uh, podcast goes live, we may have some more information on this. Um, it- it's going to take place in the Harambe Theater District, which... Is the new area with right. you know, by the Lion King, um, the also the Africa stage, and in the Harambe market. So there's so we're talking about new acts of some kind being tested, for lack mm-hmm. of a better, or rehearsed or uh, you know, <laughs> for for lack of a better term. Um, and this is going to take place over the next couple of weeks. So we're going to hear a lot more about this. Uh, I like the idea. I hope it doesn't mean the end of what's already there. Sure. Um I you know. I'll never assume anything on that anymore. Uh, so but let's just keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> right. And as the, um, you know, as we
1: see these rehearsals and stuff, they often, I mean, it's usually not a situation where they start right away. So what we might be looking at is, you know, just some testing for things that they plan on bringing later on when the park is open later, uh, most notably in March 2016 when the rivers of light and stuff come on. Um, you know, they'll need some additional entertainment offerings. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that these people will be playing, again, assuming it's bands or dance troops or whatever. Right, right. Doesn't necessarily mean they'll be performing if they are locked in with contracts at Harambe. I mean, it could be something that they
0: exactly. eventually will be playing in front of the Tree of Life, for example. Or, exactly. You know, something like that. Exactly. So, again, um, apparently, according to the story, rehearsals. Uh, are going to occur within the next couple of days. Um, and they're going to be actually taking place during park hours in some of those times. Uh, a little bit this week, a little bit next week as well. So. We should get some idea of what this is or at least a really good idea of what this is for sure mm-hmm. um, if you know because that kind of information never never stays long without being released on Twitter or something like that so we'll definitely have that coming up um, Mike the only other thing I, really in the news is um, you know relates more to our feature which is that there are some new buttons now for the 20th anniversary of the, uh, of the Disney Conservation Fund it used to be the mm-hmm. Disney Wildlife Fund conservation or worldwide or whatever it was um so there's some new buttons now for that if you're a collector of those and you ought to be because those those uh buttons the money from there goes to the best cause that there is at the animal kingdom um so you can go and pick up one of those now i have a quick question for you mike are you ready to jump right into the the world news now or do you want to take a break we could do whatever you want let's get right into it then there's no reason to stop this was that was a short one okay let's get moving Sure Dave. Today we're going to go to Hollywood Boulevard in Japan. But first, Really? Let,
1: yeah, All right. But first we're going to go to Morocco, Ooh. where uh, all of our favorite band Mo Rockin left uh, I guess it's got over a year now. That's the most Moroccan. I know, a, I'm so sorry, I know you were
0: a really big fan.
1: <laughs> they were replaced by a band whose name I couldn't even begin to pronounce. <laughs> but that band is now gone and temporarily there's a band called Rehab Fusion which will be playing um, in that uh, Morocco pavilion until January 2nd, 2016. They are kind of a fusion between uh, Berber kind of, you know, instruments and culture. And they mix that with basically funk and Afro pop and some other things like that. They're kind of more modern right. uh, sound. So they will be playing for a limited time only. They started very recently. And they'll be going to January two two thousand sixteen. Then after that, I don't know what.
0: Eh, interesting. I, I saw this, I, but I did not look. Um, I did not look at the uh, the videos that have been put up from. So I, I don't really have much to say on it, other than the fact that I acknowledge that it's there. I saw, <laughs> I saw that it was there, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, have you? You didn't listen to it yet, have you? I haven't seen them p-
1: perform in Morocco. I did watch their music video that was linked when it was initially announced. Oh, okay.
0: okay. And it's,
1: it's very modern, you know, kind of yeah. hip-hoppy kind of sound to it. Yeah. Uh, mixed in with instruments that you would get from, you know, th- that area of the right. of the world. Right. I mean, whatever. It's all right. I mean, it's not unlike, well, I mean, Barutica Band is better. But, the, you know, Barutica Band is kind of like a modern African kind of thing. And this is not dissimilar from that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Just think more Middle Eastern, yeah, Moroccan, uh, yeah, than, I, than
0: African. I, I mean, the the easy thing to say is that it's you know. A, a watered down version or something like that, but it's really not because yeah. if, if if it's if it is in the vein of Borodika, then you're talking. I mean, that kind of music that Borodika plays is something that has been popular in Africa for decades. I mean, this is mm-hmm. music that goes back, you know, to the '60s and '70s. At least that kind of idea of fusing the African. Uh, you know, sound with sort of modern, you know, Western sound, for lack of a better term, Um, you know, jazz and blues and all those kind of things and funk, like you were talking about. Um, I'm sure that's what happens in Morocco as well. I'm just not as familiar with it as I am with the African music. Um, So this is I I think this is what they're going for. I mean, yeah, they're going for a modern take. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is fine because it's all right. Yeah. I mean, in some, you know, it's great to have traditional music. Um, but it's not always that entertaining mm-hmm. for, you know, for people. And I don't mean just for people who don't know what they're talking about with music, yada, yada, yada. Uh, you know, because Mike knows what he's talking about with music and, and still he, he did not like. The, yeah, yeah. And, and still <laughs> you didn't like the last band that was there, you know.
1: So <laughs> Rockin' or the other one? No, the other the one. Traditional. The, the, the yeah, traditional
0: one. I mean, it's just it's it's cool the first time around. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> If it doesn't fit your your ear for one reason or another, it's something you move along to. Some some traditional music works really well in that kind of settings. In the, mariachi
1: band, for Mariachi example. band, for yeah. Uh,
0: you know, if you had a straight-up Celtic band like they had over in England for a little while, that would probably work for a certain amount of time. Um, they still have that trio, don't they? Yeah, and, uh, I think they do. I, I think, think they, they do. do, yeah. They're great. Yeah, from yeah. What I, yeah they're from good. What I saw. They're good. And, you know, those kind of things work. And, you know... So it's I, I applaud them for for going for for thinking along the modern terms because I think that kind of vibrancy is what Epcot really really could use and is is really neat for it. So that you know, but I haven't heard them yet, and I will eventually, I'm sure.
1: Well, they're leaving January second, so you're never going to hear them live.
0: Yeah, I mean that's true, unless they get signed again. I differ.
1: have a feeling that this is specifically, I, you know, th- they had some music videos and stuff, so I think, I'm not sure if they want to be locked into like playing a short run for years. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's possible. Yeah. It's very possible. What's next? Hollywood and Vine, Dave. One of my least favorite restaurants in all of Disney's Hollywood Studios. Well, it's going to go all-character dining. Starting oh, um, gotta do something. shortly. Starting on November 7th, so very shortly. Um, Minnie's Seasonal Dining is coming to a Hollywood and Vine. It's going to have the Fab Five there.
0: Okay, that's and cool.
1: And each season, they'll have different costumes for these characters. So there'll be a winter holidays costume. There'll be a springtime costume. There'll be a summer beach wear. <laughs> and there'll be a Halloween season for the fall, I guess. All right. Um, the costumes and the food is also actually going to change. Uh, breakfast and lunch will continue to be the Disney Junior uh, characters meet and greet. Okay, but now for the first time, dinner is going to have this meet mini, um, and, you know, to have Mickey and Goofy and Donald and Pluto. Right. It's, it starts November seventh, and it will be forty six ninety nine per adult. Not a bad
0: idea. Doesn't hey, you know, I, But yeah. like you said, this is not this is not our favorite place. I don't particularly care for the food at Hollywood. Ryan right. To be blunt. Right. I mean, so uh, I'm not going there. Yes, no, but but if might. they're looking to drum up, <laughs> I mean, if they're looking to drum up some support over there without having to actually make the food better, <laughs> this, that's fair. This might do it. So, and people love it. So, I mean, you know, it is what it is. It's just another, you know, it's the, the it's not going to solve the problems at the Hollywood studios. That's for sure.
1: No, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But let's move okay. to Disney Springs if you don't mind. Sure. Rick Bayless, who is a celebrity chef, will be opening up a restaurant at Disney Springs in the summer of 2016. It's called, I think it was called Frontera Fresca or something along those lines. It's table service Mexican. It's going to have handcrafted tacos and salads, fresh guacamole that they'll bring over to the table. It'll specialize in uh, Mexican braised meats. It's going to be a 6,000 square foot area serving about 200 guests. And it continues in the line of celebrity chefs in uh, prime eating establishments at Disney Springs.
0: I don't know who he is, so, yeah. Just... I,
1: I've never heard of him either, but I'm not a celebrity chef Guru?
0: follower. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really. I mean, I know Morimoto and I know Bobby Flay, yeah. but that's about it. That's obviously what we're going for over there now, so this is yeah, just, and, this is just like another a, one of them, you know?
1: Upscale Mexican is, you know, it's something different. And, sure. I mean, I, I suppose it's not that much different than the cantina at uh, Epcot, but still. Um, so far, every restaurant in Disney Springs that they've opened up, whether it be the Boathouse, Morimoto's, uh, Jock Lindsay's has been, uh, a home run from what I can see from, you know, reviews and things like that. They've been very popular and very well received. So hopefully this will continue in that, uh, in that direction.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. What else?
1: Dave Japan. Right. Really? Um, the, Little museum. And one of my favorite things about Epcot and World Showcase are these little museums. I love the one in uh, in China with the Terracotta Warriors. I yeah. love the one in Morocco. And, and the one in Japan had, I guess it was sort of video game-esque kind of stuff in there for the, for a few years. Well, it's changed over to the kawa culture uh, kind of thing going on in in, in uh, Japan. I don't know some of our listeners may, may be aware of Pikachu. And some of these things oh, that are okay. popular in Japan, that very colorful, very childlike. Right. Um, uh, you know, I don't even know what you call it, but I mean, cartoons and yeah. and other stuff. Well, there, the museum is going to be dedicated to that, or it currently is, actually. Wow. So it's a new change in Japan.
0: Right. Cool. Uh, <laughs> doesn't really sound very museum y, but okay.
1: Well, the other one was all about video games and stuff too, but it's it's just demonstrating an aspect of Japanese culture. So,
0: it is what it is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I like to go in these things. I mean, I like yeah, you do. I know you do. Yeah, I like the Terracotta Warrior one in China. I think that's the best one. Yeah, that one, especially since the Viking one has gone by the wayside. Although, although the Stave Church in Norway is still pretty good. I don't know if you've been in there since they've converted it to a little bit of a frozen thing going on.
0: No. It's actually pretty good. No, I have not. I've unfortunately
1: missed that. That's not bad. You should try it. Okay, Dave. Uh, some information has been released about permits for Disney's Hollywood Studios. Okay, where they are changing the infrastructure. This is not to say. I mean, it's not permits showing you exactly where Star Wars Land is going or anything like that. But beginning in January of 2016 and ending on October uh, in October 2018 these this infrastructure changes are going to be made that includes they're filling in some wetlands they are creating new wetlands across world drive for people who are not aware i think it was george bush senior uh, enacted legislation for every wetland you destroy in uh, create you know in building something you have to you know go out and build another one somewhere else so there's yeah. no, no net loss on wetlands so that's what's going on here and they think that Some of the wetlands that are being filled like right near Disney's Hollywood Studios may be part of where Star Wars Land is going. They're also building a new interchange off of the Oscalo Parkway and a bridge uh, into the parking lot. A lot of people believe that they are going to be putting up parking garages at Disney's Hollywood Studios, much like they have been doing in Disney Springs to uh, account for what they assume will be a boatload of people coming in to see a new uh, star wars land in the near future so
0: right some yeah. of the infrastructure is being changed yeah the wetlands thing was the part i read about earlier and that is pretty interesting um yeah I mean, you got to do it and it's it's good to do it mm-hmm. uh, still 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 not enough information here we're still waiting on information that's all i you know i'm just we just we just want some more info on what's going to happen is this is this mm-hmm. place going to be worth it we're going to find out
1: one thing we do know, though, according to this, construction is beginning in January.
0: Well, there you go; it'll
1: be here before you know it. <laughs> Dave in Epcot, right? Color Colortopia is now open, or is previewing, I should say. Okay, it it is a new Interventions thing that's in conjunction with Glidden Pates. It has basically three, um, you know, sort of like workstations or interactive areas. One called the Power of Color the other color or the other one called color over the world and finally color mix and match. Okay. And you can also there's also a phone app so you could uh, do some stuff on your phone too at this place. Um, it should be opening for good in no, late November of 2015 obviously, but they're they're sort of previewing it currently. Okay. <laughs> so you're fascinated by that, right? Yeah, I, I I'm not sure what to make of it. <laughs> It hardly makes up for the Soren closing. I, I don't yeah. know if you heard this one too, but Soren, they, Disney has officially announced. We reported this, and we weren't the first. But we were, we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, where right. Soren might be closing down for about six months. Well, now that right. is official. It's going down in January, and not opening it up till summer of two thousand sixteen. So. Amazing.
0: That's a, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, gonna a yeah. it's gonna yeah, be a nightmare. It's gonna be a nightmare. You know, it's it's funny, Mike. It. You know, I, we're we're to the point now with these, with so much construction and so many things closed down that, mm-hmm. like, you know, this is the first time I, you know, people who c- talk to me about going to Disney, I, I, you know, if they haven't been there before, I tell them don't don't go yet. You know, you, you got to wait a little while because so much stuff is it's just not there's just walls everywhere. I mean, you're not getting anything anymore, and and that's you know, at Epcot, I mean, that's it. That's that's the. That's the e-ticket at this point, you know. Yeah, you
1: probably want to wait until at least the summer of this year because by then most of the Animal Kingdom walls will be down. I mean, Avatar won't be open, but that that's not in the middle of everything. That's off to the side, and it just hasn't opened. You don't
0: know that's even there. That that one's that one's acceptable.
1: Yeah, Soren will be open. You know, some of the stuff at uh, EPCOT will be open, and. You know, maybe I'm not exactly sure when they're planning the Frozen Ever After to open the new Frozen ride over in Epcot. I'm not sure when that's opening, but yeah, we still don't we still don't know that yet, huh? Not the official opening date. No, hmm. no, it's next year sometime. It's right. 2016, but I'm not sure if it's summer or fall or even late spring actually, because it's been it's been closed for quite some time now. Yeah. <laughs> um. So you don't I mean you want to give it at least till that? I mean, Hollywood Studios is going to be a wreck for years. Years. I mean, it's. I mean to to avoid that I mean you're going to have to tell people don't go till 2019 at a bare minimum so yeah. uh, but the other you know Epcot and, and Animal Kingdom will start to loosen up a little bit with their walls by the summer of this year anyway.
0: Yeah, and that's something, but Mike's 100% right. I mean, the Hollywood Studios is going to be a a you know, a waste of your day for Probably six or seven years at this point. So you know, it's it's at least at least three or four anyway. At least, at least. three or four, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible. I mean, there's just so much so much going on right now. And who knows what it's going to be like? You know, I mm-hmm. I try to maintain a um, I try to maintain a positive attitude to all this for all this change, and I hope that in the end it ends up being as special a place as it was maybe ten years ago. Um, you know before all this stuff started happening uh, but you just don't know and 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 <laughs> you know if you like the way it was go now i guess if that's you know if 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 you want to don't want to invest your money in seeing construction walls then let's hope for the best and and hope you know hope things look just as good as they did you know it's hard to say but
1: it's not going to be like it ever like it used to be i mean no. it's going to be a completely different it's going to be more magic kingdom than it ever was hollywood studios absolutely Absolutely. You're going to have these lands. I mean, the lands aren't going to be fantasy land. Tomorrowland, they're going to be Toy Story land. They're going to be Star Wars land. They're going to be, you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, more fantasy than ever making than a studio for sure.
0: But it should be pretty good, I hope. Yeah. I mean, if they hit the mark with the Star Wars stuff, they can have my wallet. Yeah, it's that it's that simple. (laughs) If they you know, if they don't, then it'll be a game changer for them. I mean, people, you know, it'll be it'll be a lot of money gone into something that really won't help them, but I can't see that happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have so much to work on here. I think they're going to, you know, I I think the Hollywood Studios will be a better place in the long term. It's just that there is such a hodgepodge going on right now that we don't know what to make of what's going to be. I mean, like Mike is saying, it's going to be a completely different park from what you even, from what the original idea ever even was. I mean, they're just taking the whole original idea for the park and ripping it up and throwing it in the garbage and starting all over again. Basically, Correct. creating a new park,
1: yeah, you know. it's completely revitalizing yeah. it. Much not, not not unlike California Adventure, what they did with
0: that. Right, right. So it's you never know what's going to happen. So it's 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 hold on to your hats, kids. We got a mm-hmm. long way to go here. We got a long way to go. Is there anything else, <laughs> Dave? It's time to play America's
1: favorite. Oh game. no! I didn't. Know. Okay, <laughs> all right. It's uh, Dave guessed that price. Okay, good. Beginning yeah. on January 16, uh-huh. 2016. At the Sunset Showcase. Do you know what the Sunset Showcase is, Dave? No. That is the new theater that they're putting up um, by the Rock and Roller Coaster at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Okay. That is going to be a flex theater space. We talked about this many moons ago, but they're building a flex theater space over there to uh, do things like this. Well, I think a lot of it's going to be, you know, where they do the cheerleader stuff, they could do it there. Oh, you know, oh, oh, oh it's just be able to do different things in just the street. i just never the heard of space.
0: Flex Theater, but okay.
1: <clears throat> I think Disney invented the term, but they, uh, they like course. to use it. Great. Dave, starting on January 16, twenty sixteen, you'll be able to enjoy Club Villain, which I like is, it already. Yes, which combines two of Disney's current favorite things. Okay. Uh, a you know, a dance party. Oh god. And a hard ticket event. And they combine it into one so they can have a dance party and take your money.
0: Okay.
1: You will have food that is, it's going to be, uh, you know, Dr. Facilier from uh, Princess and the Frog is, you know, sort of the ringleader of this. And so it's a very New Orleans kind of uh, flavors to the food. There's going to be, you know, some beef strip steak with New Orleans stuff, voodoo, sticky pig wings, spicy shrimp, that kind of stuff. Uh, drinks, including specialty cocktails, beer, wine, and they're going to have a stage show with a mix and mingle of the uh, villains. So there'll be a stage show with these villains, and then you'll be able to do meet and greets with Maleficent, the evil queen, queen of hearts, Cruella de Vil. All of this for a set price. Of course, it does not include the price of admission. You've got to pay the money to get in the park. But Dave, guess how much
0: that would cost. All right, wait a minute. Sure. So it's a meet and greet, meet and greet, and a stage show. A limited stage show, probably. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. In a theater.
1: a in flex, the flex theater, theater. A flex
0: right. theater. So I don't. I mean, have not seen. What nobody knows like really like what inside. that means. Okay. Right. Um. And what do you get to go home with? Go home with. What like what, home what, with? what? What do you get for that money again? Well, food and drinks. That's
1: included. If, uh, from what I can tell. The specialty cocktail, beer, and wine is included. Oh. Oh.
0: So that's all you really get. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be like a dessert party price. $75. $99 per person. Oh, who would buy?
1: So for everybody who goes to this party, they're going to be spending $200. $100 to get into, the, get into the gate. And do- then another $100 for this mix and mingle party.
0: Can, I'm sure it'll sell out, Mike. I guess this stuff is doing well. I mean, despite how much we just laugh at this nonsense sometimes, I <laughs> yes. mean, it must be doing well because they keep producing it, and it, oh yeah, it, it keeps being sillier and sillier sounding every time they put one of these out. It's 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 you know, it's less, it's more ridiculous than the last one. You know, and this you know, this one is
1: in a in a in a park that, I mean, you would think just taking it back for a moment. The executives would be saying to themselves, all right, we're, we've shut down a lot of Hollywood studios. we got to throw something out there. How about some new entertainment? All right, how about the villain? Everybody loves the villains. Let's put the villains out there. Maybe a, a dance party or something like that. It just that on its own is kind of lame. How about a parade? Yeah, right.
0: Something course. that's included with your $100 you're already frigging spent.
1: Right. But then they took it to the next level. They gave you some food, a couple of beers, and they'll charge you 100 bucks.
0: <laughs> Man, Mike... I- <laughs> Come on Disney, come on. <laughs> people you can't, are going to flock for for the amount of money people are spending to look at construction walls, you can't throw in a villain dance party in the in in your for free, you know, for the for the money people are already spending. I mean, come on. That's such nonsense. I mean, we didn't talk about this last we haven't we haven't talked about this yet, but the uh price
1: increases for the annual pass. I mean, stuff like that and uh, stuff like this just Goes to show you, I think, that Disney is trying to price people out of their parks. Including me. Um, Be that as it may. I mean, they want, yep. they have decided that there are too many people in the parks.
0: Yep. And this is how we're getting them out.
1: And instead of adding a fifth park or more, you know, stuff to, to the park, we will just price out the lower middle class. Um, they won't be able to come to the parks anymore. And, you know, we could just feast off of, you know, the upper middle class, upper class. Yep. And get as much money as we can from them. And they'll have a good time and there'll be less people in the parks. And, I mean, it's it's obvious that Disney would rather have.
0: It's such short-term thinking. It's of course unbelievable. It
1: because all the, all the little kids of, you know, of all these people are not going to grow up to be big Disney fans like we did.
0: Exactly. I was just going to say that. I mean, if 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 the cost was uh equal, you know, adjusted for inflation to when we were kids we would never have gone. Up to no, the maybe point once. Now. I mean, once in a while. Yeah, once in a while. But we- but Mike, it's 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 a different world than it was 10 years ago. I mean, sure. I bought into the vacation club in 2007, no, mm-hmm. 2005. Um you can't buy into Vacation Club anymore for anywhere near the amount I put into it. And the other problem that we're coming across now is, you know, if you want to go down there for a few days at a time, which is what we did it for, right? So mm-hmm. we can go on a couple of sh- couple of maybe shorter trips than the one big long one, uh, you know, we, right. we do w- twice a year or so. You can't do that anymore because the cost of the annual pass is so prohibitive, and plus flying now. Plus, yeah, I mean flying is flying. I mean, that's you know, that comes up and down and now it's expensive, but it isn't it isn't crazy more than it was ten years ago. But right. I bought my first annual pass as a Disney Vacation Club member for under three hundred dollars. The annual pass discount now, ten years later, is five hundred and fifty dollars. That's mm-hmm. with the discount. Right. It's nearly doubled in that time. In 10 years it's nearly doubled. Right. I mean, how do they justify that? It was well, a better didn't... place 10 years ago, Mike. Yeah, but the problem <laughs> I mean, the, the parks were better have, 10 years
1: ago. The problem with you have with criticizing Disney is before uh, you know, the year before 9/11 when the, there was a dip obviously in travel. The year before that when it mm-hmm. was at the height of traveling. There was, I believe the Magic Kingdom had fourteen to fifteen million people right. um in their park. It's over eighteen million now. I mean that's a huge increase. There's just too yep. many people going to Disney. So but instead of spending one and a half billion dollars on building a new park and all that kind of stuff, they've just decided to price people out. Yep. And and reduce the number of people at the park that way.
0: I mean, we have just used our points. To go on a cruise, we're gonna we booked a cruise and we're gonna go down there at um, the end of February. We're gonna go. We are definitely going to do the cruise, it's a four night Bahamian cruise. We're probably mm-hmm. gonna stay over the day before, maybe stay over a couple of days after, and we're seriously considering like what will probably happen is we'll book ourselves a couple of nights at you know maybe a night the the, the day before at the Animal Kingdom Lodge and a couple of nights after it's over and never go into the parks because. In order for us all to do that, it's another $1,000. Yeah, I know. No. You know, because we're only going to be there for three or four days, mm-hmm. and the three day pass is 300 and something bucks. All right. You know, you just can't afford it. So, and, and we can't, we, we want to go back again in December. So, the only thing really to do cost effectively would be to get the annual pass, but we can't afford the annual pass. So, we're probably just going to forego it now mm-hmm. and pay f- and do it then. So Disney misses out on all of those <laughs> souvenirs and the extra money. I would gladly have spent a little bit extra money to get the annual pass when it was only a little bit extra for DVC members. I mean, I've already spent nearly twenty thousand dollars with the Disney Vacation Club. They could throw me a hundred bucks off the, a couple hundred bucks off the price of admission. For all God's right. sake, you know. But everybody's bought into DVC now, so they don't have to do that anymore because they have so Absolutely many. Not. You know, so they have so many people. So, you know. And I used to complain all the time about the cruise being expensive, and we used to say, oh, my God, it's so expensive. You know what? Compared to other cruise lines, it is very expensive. But Disney doesn't have a casino, so they don't have another uh, on their ship. So they don't have Mm -hmm. that revenue stream coming in. Also, if you do a cost analysis comparison between four nights on the cruise and four nights at the parks, you're not saving any money by going to the parks. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and you're getting much inferior service, far inferior service, far inferior food by going to the parks than you are by going on the cruise. Right. So I mean, if you're just looking for a good Disney vacation and you don't really need to do all the rides again, why go to the parks? It's just a cost prohibitive at this point. It just doesn't make any sense. I've you never know. done the cruise. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I mean yeah. it's it's it is I tell people all the time if you just want to take a cruise, you know, Disney's expensive. But, if you want to give yourself the best cruise, that 's what Disney offers, unless mm-hmm. you 're a gambler and and, like I said, they have that stream of revenue on other ships that can afford to drive those prices down. They don 't do that on Disney, and that actually is a benefit because you know the casino has its own drawbacks right, to, sure. you know to to certain travelers. you don 't have that here on disney the The food is off the hook the you know the ships are just amazingly beautiful. Um, you know, it's fantastic. And it's, it's, it is, if if you're going to do one cruise and you just want to try it, do that because it's just, it's just so good. I mean, the food is superior, you know, and the, the entertainment on there is just incredible quality. You know, we all joke about Broadway style entertainment, you know, at the parks and stuff. They don't really have that there, but they have that on the ship. That's for sure. You know, and and it's just—it's terrific. uh, It's—I would absolutely recommend it. If, like I said, if you did a cost analysis for four days, and you add in how much you spend in food in the parks, how much you spend in the hotels, if you put apples to apples, it's actually cheaper to go on the cruise now at this point than it is to go to the parks for four days. Once you get up to the seven day, then maybe it's a different thing because you're getting more bang for your buck in the in the passes, sure, for the parks. But I mean, we're we're going to be maybe go to the park three or four days. There's no purpose in buying a, a, a three day pass. You're paying spending ninety dollars a day, you know, or something like that 80 eighty eighty something dollars a day. And that's just right. not that's just not cost effective for a family mm-hmm. by any means. Mm-hmm. Just to make a quick stop, you know, when it used to be sixty bucks to get into the front door for one day if you wanted it, you know, <laughs> not yeah. that long ago. <laughs> um, when does it end? Like you said, when does it end? But all right, is that I guess that's it for the news. That's it for the news. All right, let's take a short break. And when we come back, we are going to discuss 20 years of Disney's conservation Fund Coming back on Radio Harambe.
1: Jumbo listeners, this is Scott from the Dixie Landings Radio Podcast. JumboEveryone.com and Radio Harambray are working to raise funds for their conservation partners by offering some great Animal Kingdom-related products for sale at Zazzle.com slash JumboEveryone. There's some great animal apparel and even an exclusive line of not-a-half-day park stuff, and all the profits go towards helping to save wildlife. I've got mine, and a couple of them, and now you can get yours too. Go to Zazzle.com slash JumboEveryone or click the store tab at JumboEveryone.com. Wahirini.
0: called the disney worldwide conservation fund <laughs> the dwcf now is just trading under the name disney conservation fund don't know why the change but that's a recent change uh opened its doors in 1995 a full couple of years uh, three years before the opening of the park um most people and that will get the snarkiness out of the way right off the top Most people credit the opening of this simply to, or or the founding of the fund simply for the need for Disney to um, show a, how would you describe this, Mike? A. A, uh, appease uh, the PETAs and other groups like that. that Show a sense of responsibility towards um, the actual goals of. You know, species survival plans and the actual goals of conservation rather than just using animals to be a uh, draw for people to come and buy plush dolls and things to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, since then, they've contributed tens of millions of dollars to projects all over the world. Uh, we all know how the money goes to the the conservation fund. There's, uh, you know, Disney put some money in There's also the buttons that we talked about before There's also portions of proceeds from certain things Special events and stuff like that That all go towards this um, You know, the pressed penny machines There's a few of those out there uh, You know, and all of the money that they bring in To the DWCF actually gets, I believe um, Gets matched by Disney mm-hmm. And then Disney covers the overhead costs So so, all the money brought in goes straight to these conservation funds. Now we're 20 years into this, Mike, and to me, honestly, this is sort of the the one theme the 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 theme park related thing that that Disney fans should be most proud of and probably know least about. Mm -hmm. Um, So we thought for the 20th anniversary here, we would fix that and uh, introduce you a little bit more to the work that the Disney Conservation Fund does. So we're going to hand it over to our own conservation expert.
1: (laughs) Mike, what do you got for us on this? Well, Dave, you know, I think part of the snarkiness that you were talking about, I mean, people should realize that conservation, um, at least to a small degree, was present at Walt Disney World even as far back as 1971 when it opened. Um, Part of the park itself or part of the resort area itself was put aside for uh, wildlife conservation, the 14,000 acres, actually, um, in the original park uh, or original resort design in 1971 was set aside for uh, various purposes, you know, various uh, kinds of habitats, mostly uh, wetlands. And even in 1994, the Disney started the uh, Wilderness Preserve, which is 8,500 acres of wetlands, For And it has a lot of bald eagles, sandhill cranes, wood storks, that kind of stuff. So um, even before Disney started the Disney Wildlife Conservation Fund, um, there was conservation efforts within the Disney company at the Walt Disney World Resort. So that's kind of important to, to point out. Absolutely. The conservation fund itself actually wasn't really the brainchild of anybody at Disney. Instead, it was... The brainchild of the Animal Kingdom Advisory Board, and for people who don't know what that is, it's an it's an important part of uh, the history of the Animal Kingdom. When when Joe Rody and and Disney people had decided to, to build the Animal Kingdom, they brought in a team of zoo and conservation experts, um, such as Bill Conway from the Wildlife uh, Conservation Society, which runs the Bronx Zoo, and who I know. Um, Other people like uh, Roger Karras, who was, you know, he's a famous narrator. He's, you know, part of the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Um, Terry Maple, who was the director of Zoo Atlanta, who oversaw um, the uh, changing of uh, the Atlanta Zoo from one of the worst city zoos in the country to now one of its best. You know, people like that and other, some other uh, conservation groups like the Peregrine Falcon Fund, White Oaks Conservation Center, like, leaders from those facilities were brought in to the Animal Kingdom Advisory Board and, you know, they helped Disney set the policies for uh, running essentially the zoo aspect of the Animal Kingdom. And it was they who said to Disney and convinced Disney officials uh, that, you know, a conservation fund would be a great way to um, provide support, money, etc., etc., to some of the conservation efforts that they will be teaching people um through the zoo i know many of the uh many of the people who are involved in that program like terry maple and bill conway who were running zoos you know almost on shoestring budgets i mean i, I don't want to say shoestring budgets but they were running it for cities where right it was hard to to get funding for various things and they were you know they were playing you know, moving dollars around and trying to do the best they can with what they were, what they had. And, and they saw with Disney, who, at the, you know, had, as we've been talking about in, in the news segment, un- almost unlimited funds. Um, you know, they thought that they could do a great thing. So and part of that was starting the Disney Wildlife Conservation
0: Fund. Right. And, and I want to just kind of stop quickly and and, yeah. and talk about that. Um <laughs> The when delving into the world of zoos, you're talking about a um, an industry that is filled with watchdogs, right? <laughs> and for good reason. Um, you know the, the record of zoos over the over the decades uh, before the nineteen well, probably 1960s or 1970s um, wasn't particularly good. There were a lot of, you know, there are a lot of places where animals were, um, you know, obviously mistreated or placed in situations where they, you know, were, you know, sitting on concrete their whole Mm -hmm. lives, and and we've all heard these stories. We all know what this is all about, and as a result of that, this this watchdog um, community has never gone away, and so when Disney wanted to bring in this committee. They wanted some of the watchdogs in on the committee because that gives them the, uh, you know, the, the moxie that they needed to uh, deflect what was going to be an obvious torrent mm. of issues and, um, you know, uh, a criticism that was going to come their way regardless of what they did I mean they knew they were gonna get into this mm-hmm. when they when they made this there was no way out of it right Mike I mean there's no there's no way they could get away from this
1: sure I mean Disney's such a big company it's such a prime target I mean we saw it right with blackfish and SeaWorld I mean they were I was SeaWorld, just gonna it,
0: go there with that
1: <laughs> World is not even is not nearly as big as Disney in terms of its You know, a a notoriety and in, you know, how often it's in the media, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Disney had a target on its back. So if you had any kind of incident um, that even smelled like it could be mistreatment of animals or even just the possibility of it, you know, some of these groups were going to take the opportunity to get, you know, on Channel 7 and Channel 2 and, you know, the CNN and stuff and, you know, preach what they want to preach. Because it's Disney and it to be carried,
0: and and um, and, and Mike, much of the criticism or much of the sort of the vitriol that mm-hmm. came as a result of Blackfish um, wasn't really based on things that they're doing now. It's it was based on things that they did decades ago,
1: sure in the seventies on the way they were capturing the right. I mean, some of the most uh, disturbing portions of, of that film and again, that that film is very is one-sided. I mean, it's only yep. you're only getting one side of the story. But you know, you were seeing some horrific things right. that they were doing to capture um and then, you know, keep these orca, which I still maintain they shouldn't be doing but i agree i mean that's that does, there. yeah
0: that doesn't that that i'm not speaking about that in particular yeah. because i agree with you um these there are some animals that should be in captivity and some that should not and that is one that should not in my opinion and i've always felt that way um but disney wanted to, you know this is a great example of why disney wanted to make sure they didn't make any mistakes at any point in the road mm-hmm. because you learn the hard way and SeaWorld is suffering catastrophic results yes, yes it is. of this, you know. And Disney just didn't want that to happen. Um, you know, I think SeaWorld it would never have seen so much coming here with this over something mm-hmm. that was, again, decades old. Um, but Disney wants to make sure this doesn't happen. So you can see them taking these steps and having the watchdogs in on this to begin with. You know, you have people who know what folks are going to be looking for. Sure. In order to do the criticism. So that was smart. And then as a result, the fund comes in as a way not only to deflect criticism, but the conservation community becomes part of what you need in order to develop the park throughout the decades. Um, you know, To be part of the species survival plans. To be part of making the park better. Mm-hmm. You know, is being involved in the conservation community. Now, not everybody in the conservation community has great things to say about Disney. Uh, we must be fair about that. And I've had personal conversations with uh people who have been on the receiving end of some bad things Disney's done in the conservation efforts. Um but that's neither here nor there. Uh you know, they 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 everybody's going to have some kind of criticism as the time goes on. And in this business, this is you know, it's replete with that. So that's why you know, we we really needed this kind of thing. And I think as a result, the fund has you know, came in 3 years prior to the park being opened so right. so that we could sort of have a very established groundwork of this feeling that Disney is trying to promote more than just plush dolls and ticket sales.
1: Right. It actually started on Earth Day, April 22nd, 1995. Um, And this is the 20th anniversary, obviously, this year of Disney's uh, Wildlife Conservation Fund. Uh, Should I get into a little bit of what it does? Yeah. All right. So basically, it does three different things, which we'll talk a little bit, of, uh, you know, briefly about in uh, in this segment. Number one is it provides grants to various groups, and I'll talk a little bit about how that works. There's a res- rapid response fund that is kept uh, off, you know, separate from the grants, and they also announce conservation grassroots heroes uh, on a yearly basis. So. The first one is probably the biggest one, and that is the, the grants that they give on a yearly basis to various groups, um, various conservation groups. Uh, each year, an evaluation team from Disney, from, not only from the animal management people, but the zoology people, conservation biologists, and public affairs uh, get together and they decide who in, gets the grants that, and the money that they will give. The applicants um, have to help endangered species through one of essentially three different things, either education, training, or research. So what they're looking for is people who are studying wildlife, people who are trying to protect habitats, and people who are trying to educate the public on conservation. There is an emphasis on biological hotspots, which is a by, by definition a biological it's a biodiversity hotspot essentially and that is a region that is a group has a significant amount of biodiversity in other words animals that are only found in this particular area and it's threatened with destruction the amazon rainforest is you know something that could come right to mind it's that's an area that almost everything there right. is indigenous to the to the rainforest itself and you know it's under um constant threat so the philosophy of these of these grants anyway are they want to provide a lot of smaller awards so instead of giving a million dollars to one big project they'd rather give you know, $20,000 to numerous different projects right. and that because you know many of these as you know I'm sure our listeners know many of these projects are in less developed countries where Spending twenty five thousand, fifty thousand dollars means a lot more exactly. than it does for exact. For example, here in the United States, uh, many of these projects are associated with the Aza, which is of course the American um, Association of Zoos and Aquariums, and deal with SSPs. Um, a couple of examples that I, you know, I had noticed um, on the internet, and I'll bring them up to you. And this kind of gives a good flavor of projects that disney will get behind uh they gave jane goodall money to um fund a visitor center in gombe which is where she did most of her work with chimpanzees studying them and it says a a large chimpanzee population it's a national park and uh, disney helped build a visitor center to help not only educate tourists who would be going there but also the locals as well another example is for the peregrine falcon fund which studies not just falcons but you know many different types of raptors. Uh, they gave money to study the highly endangered harpy eagle. And they also gave money to the World Society, which actually uh, used it to vaccinate 20,000 domestic dogs uh, with for distemper and other things near the Serengeti because the domestic dogs were unfortunately uh, giving these diseases to the lions and African wild dogs. So that's kind of an example of... Um, and that's some information as to the grants that are given
0: yeah, and there's Mike, there's so many of them. I mean mm-hmm. there's like he was saying um, so so basically just to sort of put a to s- sort of put a put a cap on it real quickly um, what the conservation fund does is not actually do this work themselves right they raise money through us, you know through Disney's profits and they help fund you know, all these hundreds of projects all over the world, um, people, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak, and giving them the the, the, the funding that they need to continue their work. Uh, Mike and I both have relatives in Maine, uh, and we uh, both are um, lovers of the coast of Maine, and one of those particular projects was money donated to the National Audubon Society specifically for conservation and observation of the Atlantic Puffin. Mm-hmm. Which is a little bird, a little gorgeous little bird that was near extinct. In fact, I think it was extinct on the main coast, um, and then was reintroduced onto something called Eastern Egg Rock, which is a island, uh, but really just a rock in the middle. It's a big rock. It's a big rock, but a rock. rock it's just a rock in the middle of the <laughs> the middle of the Gulf of Maine. And um, a couple of scientists you know, started reintroducing uh, puffins to this area to hope mm-hmm. that they would come back because that's what they do. They come back to their place. And now the rock is absolutely covered with these puffins. And the, the project is incredibly successful, but it has to continue. Um, and Disney actually put money towards that specific project at that specific rock that I've actually been to. Um, and things that they do, like for – and the reason why I say – use this as, a, as an example is because not only do these college interns that go out there and do this work because that's usually who does this kind of stuff, right? Right. Um, there's very rarely anybody making any money off this yeah, endeavor. No. Uh, you know, uh, they have to do it. But also they – some of this money was used for activities that involved 2,000 different thir- th- grade three through six students in 25 different mid-coast Maine schools. Now, that is for the long-term preservation of this project, right? That's for mm-hmm. this, the population being familiar with what good work can do in a place like Maine or anywhere where there's wildlife that that can be threatened, uh, and, and so that's the, that. Those are the kind of things. Now it's not Disney doing that work, <laughs> right?
1: Right. But, it's not their but, scientists in the field, correct? Right. But
0: somebody's got to fund that stuff, and that's mm-hmm. where and that's where lots of things come in. Lots of different funds come in, and Disney's is just obviously just one of them. So go ahead.
1: Right, and it, just to give you some example of how spread out this is, um, in 2012, for example. Disney spent $1.8 million on 80 different programs. So, again, it wasn't $1 million on an elephant program. It was spread out over uh, 80 different programs in 40 different countries. I know Disney has spent, I think the Conservation Fund has raised over $30 million so far um, in funds for various things. And and some of the money has gone to, for example, $4.6 million have been raised to protect various different birds. $2 Two million dollars have been raised to help protect primates. 1.4 million dollars has been raised to protect big cats. 1.2 million has been raised to prevent, uh, to protect elephants—not prevent them, but protect them. 1.1 million has been raised for sea turtles, a highly endangered group of animals. And a million dollars so far has been raised by Disney to help protect rhinos. So that just kind of gives you a flavor as to uh, where some of this money is going and how much is going.
0: Yeah, and and you know, a lot of that. And the thing that's really cool about it, Mike, is that the you know this all began as a way to placate, like we were saying, as you know, it began as a way of of um, ingratiating themselves with the conservation community and 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 with the watchdog, so to speak, and try to limit their um, you know per- potential criticism and all that kind of stuff. So you would think that. The species involved in this fund would be ones that somehow relate to the animal kingdom so that they can specifically point if something went wrong. They can specifically say, yeah, well, this went wrong in our park, but look at what we did for this particular species mm-hmm. that we do. But that's not what they do.
1: No, not at all. They,
0: they fund t- – and, and Mike's average there, the, the average money given out is something like twenty twenty three thousand dollars uh, per organization for that one year that Mike's talking about, the one point eight million dollars, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, to eighty different projects. Now twenty three thousand dollars may not sound like enough, but if you ever went and saw this project that I'm talking about off the coast of Maine, <laughs> and how they how they do this twenty two thousand dollars, I mean that that covers your boat costs for the rest of the year. But that's really how a lot of this stuff works. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, Jane Goodall and those type of programs, you know, get a lot of attention and they should and they're the drivers in this kind of thing. Um, and the bigger animals, you know, that are facing serious extinction threats, um, obviously the, you know, the the, fun- the the funds related to them and the programs related to those particular animals get all the press and and that's fine. But there are... Hundreds of species threatened out there, and they're not all going to be on a T-shirt. Sure, but by the same token, and, you know, I've had this discussion
1: even back when I was a volunteer at the zoo. I mean, granted, um, you know, it's the chimpanzee or the elephant that brings in the cash. Um, right. It's their plight that brings in the cash to protect a park or set up a national park. But there, are, those are not the only things that are living in that section of rainforest, like Gombe, for example, uh, that was set up specifically to protect the chimpanzees. I mean, there are thousands of insects and other birds and small reptiles and snakes and spiders and all these things that are now uh, protected uh, or have a place uh, thanks to the chimpanzees. So there's something to be said for a sort of signature species to sort of drive the the funding and drive the the purchase of the park land and all that kind of Definitely. stuff. Definitely.
0: And it trickles down mm-hmm. to, to, you know, the entire ecosystem when it comes to those kind of things. So it, it, you're absolutely right about that.
1: Let's talk about a couple of the other aspects of Disney's wildlife conservation fund. Okay. There is the rapid response fund, which was set up by Disney so that, uh, you know, we talked about the, uh, the grants that goes through an application process. So you, you apply for money. You said you tell these people why you th- why you need the money, and then the um, executive board that uh, looks at these things determines whether or not you get the money and how much. Well, the Rapid Response Fund is set aside uh, for small amounts to cover things that, as you can imagine, are emergencies, and that could be got t- that could be taken out right away and given to people right away. Um, a couple of the examples that I saw of this were, um, you know, the Disney gave money to replace housing for biologists in Rwanda, where their housing was destroyed thanks to Civil War. Um, their houses in, the, in wow. the rainforest were completely wiped out. Disney gave money so they can get houses built right away. Um, they didn't have to go through the application process. Another one was uh, Disney gave money to help clean beaches for, uh, for sea turtle nesting areas after tsunamis. So tsunami came by, wiped out this beach and you know the nesting area for the sea turtles. Disney gave money right away to help clean that area up and set it up so that the sea turtles would come in and be able to nest. So that's another aspect of this conservation fund that, that uh, often doesn't get a lot of press. Not like some of these grants are given, right? But are just as equally important.
0: And that and that's really cool. I never I had never heard that term of the rapid response fund, and that's really interesting. Um, you know and and a great idea because cause like you said there are a lot of these sort of lesser known um conservation groups that may get into these kind of issues especially in some parts of the country uh, some parts of the world where war and other things like that mm-hmm. have stepped into uh to complicate matters even more um, you know to have that kind of fun there to, to respond with is, is terrific and they have a relationship with so many organizations now right that you know they're they're bound to come across this mm-hmm. so that's incredible cool
1: and Disney also does these conservation heroes so, so uh, once a year they kind of list out and just to recognize people in the field doing various different things uh, just to give them some sort of recognition that you know hey you're doing good work couple right. Some of the examples that I pulled up were actually um, uh, our conservation partners, Peter LaLampa from the uh, Gravity Zebra Trust. He's a part of the Zebra Scout Ambassador and Warrior Programs, and uh, he was recognized recently by uh, Disney as a grassroots hero. And Gebhardt Nicanor uh, from the Cheetah Conservation
0: Mike. Fund. Congratulations,
1: Mike. Congratulations. I don't know how you're <laughs> up with that one. but From the Cheetah Conservation Fund. He is he's an educator at that facility and he has taught over 100,000 people about the plight of cheetahs. And he's also been involved in the uh, livestock, livestock, excuse me, guarding dog program. So uh, these are two people of many who have been recognized by Disney as a grassroots hero.
0: And the Grevy Zebra Trust is one of those organizations that we're talking about. It's a very small organization. We're not talking about a big, uh, you know, group here. Like the Cheetah Conservation Fund is a lot larger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so is other other organizations like the Diane Fossey organization and things like that. Um, so the Grevy Zebra Trust is definitely one of those organizations that needs to partner with people like Disney or zoos from here uh, mm-hmm. to help with this. You know, with this project to to save this species of animal. So, and there, there's a lot that goes into that. You know, there's a lot of community things that have to go into that, and there's you know. I mean, for for instance, with the cheetah thing, when Mike talked about the guard dog thing, I mean, that's, you know, we've talked many times before about how a lot of these predators have issues um, locally when mm-hmm. they become predators of livestock. And that's what has happened with the cheetahs is they get pushed out of 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 hunting grounds by lions and bigger animals. Um, they get forced onto farms to to feed themselves and now we what what it 's not good for anybody that doesn 't end well and on 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 either side of that equation um, so the best w- one of the best ways they 've done to or found to prevent that is to actually start this guard dog with these gigantic dogs <laughs> yes, incredible guard dogs they look like mastiffs, but i 'm not a thousand percent sure I know what they 're called, but they look like a giant mastiff and and uh, they breed these dogs. And they train them to go into the community, and 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 that's part of protecting the you know the the lives of cheetahs. As, as, as strange as that may be, so it's you know there's a lot that goes in here, and it gets expensive. So,
1: Dave, before we finish, I mean, I'm going to give you a couple of examples of how Disney has helped our conservation partners, the people that uh, cool. you know you see on our website, right? Um, that you can donate to. And, and, you know, if you purchase stuff through us, money please goes do. to.
0: Yeah, please do.
1: Um, the Cheetah Conserv- I'll start off with the Cheetah Conservation <laughs> Fund. In 2014, Disney gave money to them for the Agricultural Skills Building Program for the Future Farmers of Africa. It's a program that CS- cool. CCF has where they have trained over 3,000 African farmers You that, you know, used to kill cheetahs on the spot, just as you were talking about. Right. And they're t- teaching them about sustainable livestock farming. Um, much of this has to do with the guard dog programs and, right. and other ways that they can, you know, not destroy the, the land that they're farming on and, you know, keep a sustainable, you know, it, to be sustainable. Right. And cool. Stay in the same spot. So Disney gave money recently to Cheetah Conservation for that program. Cool. Uh, Diane Fossey, which is another group obviously we use, Disney helped uh, with Grace. Which is the Gorilla Rehabilitation and Conservation Center, yeah. which is in the Congo. Um, it is actually a place where they take infant gorillas that are captured or confiscated, I should say, from poachers,
0: or so or are often in, um, orphaned, orphaned from, from poachers as
1: from well. From poaching. So yep. you know, either they're orphaned or they were actually taken by poachers and we're going to keep them as pets or whatever for a time. Disney sent uh, building materials, personnel, medical supplies, animal care equipment, and even books and materials for local schools about the Grace. Yeah. Um, so Disney helped a lot with that, that part of the Diane Fossey um, situation.
0: That's an incredible organization, that Grace, that re- that Gorilla Rehab and Conf- Conservation Center. If you go to Diane, you go to the, the Diane Fossey Fund's website, you can read all about it and see some pictures and stuff. It's really heartwarming and incredible. But okay. What, I don't Two want more. to
1: interrupt you. <laughs> no, that's quite a right to inter- interrupt away. The Gravy Zebra Trust, Dave, we were talking about them before. They yeah. are in Kenya. Um, they have uh, workshops where they have taught um, 800 locals, uh, you know, the, the importance of the Gravy Zebra. They work with a local Sambutu culture, which often has conflicts with the general um, government at Kenya. And, they, you know, the Gravy Zebra Trust is working hard. To sort of, and in through workshops and community mm-hmm. outreach programs to kind of help the uh, local culture kind of integrate themselves into the park and in pro- actually protecting the Grevy Zebra themselves. Disney has helped um, donate money to the community outreach program there through the Grevy Zebra Trust.
0: Yeah, and people may not know this, Mike, and I just, just so people mm-hmm. know what we're talking about, Grevy Zebra, um, it is a specific. Um, breed of the zebra subspecies I guess, Michael? It's its own species. It's not a
1: subspecies. It's its own species.
0: And it is the largest of all. And it's also endangered. Um, The zebra in general is not endangered. You know, there's plenty of zebras out there. The plain but zebras, plain right. The ones zebras you see in, in the yeah, Serengeti,
1: correct. exactly.
0: But the grevy zebra, which is the largest and really most spectacular of them all, is the or are, are is a specific species that is uh, very much threatened with its existence. So um, it's only found in in small spots,
1: very arid areas yeah. of Kenya, um, and
0: maybe Ethiopia too, or something. You know, uh, I mean.
1: Yeah, I forget. There was somewhere else too, but the, be that as it may. Um, yeah, they were they were always very limited in their range, but um, it's through habitat destruction, hunting for their pelts and whatnot. Right. They are highly endangered, and they're also can be found on the Pangor- recently in the Pangani Forest Trail yes, for can, people yeah. who have been to the park. You will see the gravy zebras yep. there, but they're not the ones that you see. Um, on all the, uh, you know, conservation shows where you see lions right. and, you know, running through the... Right, 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 right. They're not those.
0: They're not the ones you see at Kidani Village or those, you know, they're not... That, that's not them. Right. Okay. Last
1: and but not least, Dave, yeah. on, this, on this topic, the uh, one of our other partners, Save the Rhinos, in 2013 got $22,500 to help the Loesha Luanga program, which is essentially... Uh, There's a North Luanga National Park where, you know, some rhinos can be found. And this assisted in, you know, getting information and getting help to the local schools to teach the kids the importance of the rhino, to help, you know, bring children to the park. It helped train local park officers. And, you know, Dave, you had mentioned this before, actually provided fuel and maintenance costs. And that $22,000 that Disney gave was one-fifth the entire cost of the program for that year. So it doesn't cost a lot of money to do all this, uh, and that twenty-two thousand dollars went a long way for that particular program through Save the Rhinos.
0: Yeah, very cool, very cool. And obviously, the rhino is, uh, you know, one of those species that gets a lot of press now, uh, yeah, and 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 deservedly so, <laughs> and and for bad reasons. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Cool, Mike. Anything else? No, that's it, Dave. All right. I, you know, I'd also just like to say that uh, you know that you can learn, as Mike mentioned, you can if you go to JomboEveryone.com com and you click the conservation tab, um, you can go right to the websites of those four that he mentioned. We also have another one called the Ara Project, which is devoted to helping macaws in the wild, um, and you could. On that page, you can find, uh, you can click straight through to their donation page. Doesn't doesn't come through us. We don't we don't take any money for them. We just encourage that you do it. Uh, and of course, as Mike also mentioned on our store, we have some t shirts, some things for sale. That's going to change soon. Uh, we're going to be doing some new things there as well. And every dime we make off there, we donate back to those conservation partners. Over the time we've been doing it, we've donated I think a few hundred dollars and we have some more donations actually to make thanks to your generosity as well. And we're hoping to get some new stuff in for Christmas um, to get even more funds raised for these folks working on the ground there. Uh, Having said all that, let me not forget to thank you for tuning in to us. and uh, Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Radio Harambe. Mike is at Jombo everyone. We're also on all the other... Social media, so you can find us there. Find all those links at jomboeveryone.com. So, thanks for listening. For Safari Mike, I'm Dave McBride. Quaharini, go well. And thank you for tuning in to Radio Harambe. Quacu, Maluqua, Melaco, Tau Cungo, Na Utuku, Mata Pelene, Arika. Quacu, Maluqua, Melaco, Tau Na Utuku.